everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. TCU beats Texas Tech out there on the South Plains, 33-31. This game looked like it was going to be a blowout, and it became a heart attack and a sack. We're going to talk about all of that and so much more on this episode of the Frogcast. As always, I have my good friends, partners in crime, Daniel Southern and Jeremy Clark with me. Daniel, Jeremy, you guys doing all right tonight? Good evening, Jeff. Doing great. It's always a good Sunday after a Frogs win, so very good. I'm looking forward to this Frogcast tonight. Yeah, yes. I am as well. Daniel, you, <laughs> Daniel, you're going to be in a much better mood analysis. than you were after, yeah, after expert analysis. Because usually you get one word from Daniel that starts with, Terrible. <laughs> After one score loss to Baylor, one score lost to uh, one score lost to uh, Baylor, one score lost to K State, one score lost to Oklahoma State, one score lost to SMU. Hopefully, we got a little better to talk about tonight. All right, uh, Jeremy, let's just dig right into it. I, am I the only one that that is looking for answers? Frogs jump out to a twenty-four to three lead, and this game really comes down to the last series. Like most Big Twelve games, one score, whoever has the ball last is either going to turn it over or win. Uh, let's just start with this: How did what what went right to get the Frogs out to that twenty-four-three lead? Because I thought they were going to blow the doors off and beat them, you know, fifty-five to twenty-one. What went right, especially in that first quarter in the half when the Frogs started lighting it up? Yeah, I mean, you had the same thoughts I did. I thought they were about to run away with that thing and win by 20 or 30. But they moved the ball well on offense. I think, obviously, Max had some great plays with his feet on that first drive. That 26-yard run where he escaped the rush was really just, man, just another great play and and the great plays he's made this year as a a freshman. But uh, they they didn't have any answer for his running ability. And it was kind of funny because I was sitting pretty close to uh, Jarrett Johnson, uh, up there that covers Texas Tech for 24-7. Awesome dude. Uh, known Jarrett for a long time, and, and he was even surprised with how fast Max was, and I was telling him, yeah, he he had the highest quarterback uh, uh, spark score in the nation um, for all quarterbacks, and, and he ran like a 21-5 in high school, so he's not slow. But you had him running that 26-yard run, and they still weren't really – doing anything about it as a defense for Texas Tech. And he runs that 20-yarder, goes untouched. And it was really that. And you get a great turnover early on. Our Darius has a, another big play. He's making big plays this year. Gets that uh, pass breakup. Wyatt Harris gets his first career interception. And they go down and, and they they score again. They get Jonathan Song to kick a field goal. And then they just – they everything seemed to be working right for them. It, they just had right play calls. They were executing him. Uh, good passes, good catches, good blocking up front, and great play. That was a great play call by Sonny Cumbie on that that uh, second down, or I can't remember if it was first or, first and goal or second and goal when they threw that pass to Artavius Lynn. That's a great play call. He was wide open. Good pass for Max, and then Max found Jalen Rager later in the later in the game to make it twenty four three after Tech had kicked a field goal. TCU comes out, he finds them streaking on a post pattern and another perfect pass. And, and Jalen really turned on the Jets for that catch. But it just – it didn't seem like anything could go wrong for them early on. And everything that you had seen that was going wrong for them and all those games that they lost were somehow going right against the Red Raiders. Nothing Texas Tech could do was going right. They didn't get any lucky breaks early on. And it was it was just the perfect recipe for them to – to go out and and play the way they did, man, it was it was really kind of unbelievable the way they were jumping on them real early. 
Let's give a shout out to uh, listener Hank Harris out there in Alito. Good to see we- or you know, good to see Wyatt get that uh, interception. I thought for a second he was going to be able to house that thing. Yeah, everything was going right the first quarter and a half, and then things start to slip. Uh, you know, late in the, in the second quarter, and then into the third quarter, it's as if the defense and the offense uh, couldn't quite get on the same page in terms of effectiveness, in terms of being in the right spot. Offense slows down, unable to produce as much. Defense begins to give up big plays, begins to, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't exactly know. I feel like they changed coverages there late in the second quarter, into the third quarter. I'm not the offense, I'm not the scheme genius. Daniel, how much anxiety was going through your veins when you watched Tech start to creep back, especially when, you know, it was a one-score game and then they take the lead and we're going back and forth. I think there were three or four lead changes there late in the game. How did it feel watching that unfold there as the game was winding down? Uh, it wasn't too bad because I, I was, you know, I was pretty happy about how it started out. Uh, I thought, you know, hey, uh, you know, tech's not the best, but we, you know, we're showing some life. And yeah, it kind of got a little, a little bumpy there towards the, you know, towards the end. And but I, I didn't lose it completely. I didn't think they were just gonna uh, take the take the, the W from us. Um, I had, I had, I kept watching the clock thinking we still got time. There's still time. And then once the end, once the turnover, no problem. So I I still think, you know, even without the turnover, uh, probably would have pulled that off. So and at this point in the season with all that's gone wrong, there's really not a lot to get anxious about. I kind of was expecting to lose, I guess, as a defense mechanism, for my own is sake, that, is that what your therapist gave you, told, told you to start doing? Well, that and some meds, and uh, <laughs> no shame in either of those, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. I've been pretty drugged up on Saturdays lately. So, anyway, no, I wasn't too bad, and I don't expect much from like the Oklahoma game, and then we'll see what happens with West Virginia. So, the anxiety is not too bad at this point because it's kind of like. What well, you know, I expect it to go wrong. If it does, I meet my expectations. If if they're uh, exceeded, I'm happy. So it works. You know that that reminds me of one of my great uh, George Will quotes, where he says, "The upside of being pleasant uh, of being a pessimist is either you're proven right or you're pleasantly surprised." So I've I've kind of live, live and die with that as a TCU fan sometimes. All right, Jeremy, let's go back to the way that the scores began to break down in this game. The Frogs obviously jump out to a 10 and then a 7 and then a 17-point lead. Tech sticks a field goal on there, and then Jalen Rager, you know, takes that one to the house for 55 yards. Jet Duffy comes back, hits uh, Rigdon for a 26-yard touchdown pass, and then Duffy picks up, you know, finds R.J. Turner for a 70-yard touchdown pass. 24-16, that's the moment where I'm like, oh, crap, this is not – they're, they're back in the game. They're obviously getting some rhythm. We've had some blown coverages. One of those things that I circled, I keep a little notepad during the game, that I circled is this could come back to help the Frogs. Two seconds left in the half, and Jonathan Song goes out there and kicks a 28-yard field goal to make it 27-16. Those three points right there, Frogs win by two. Those are the moments where you got to steal. You got you got to be able to steal some points, and they did that. You roll into the second quarter. Uh, I mean, you roll into the second half. Tech puts two touchdowns on the board, or put you know, yeah, puts a, a touchdown on the board in the second half, and or yeah, to start the second half, and things just start to go uh, crazy from there. It's back and forth and back and forth. Uh, 
let's let's get inside of the uh, inside of the fourth quarter here. Jonathan Song kicks a 25-yard field goal. Trey Wolf kicks a 24-yard field goal. Tech takes the lead. It's 31 to 30. And then finally, Jonathan Song goes out there, kicks that field goal with 538. They trade back and forth. Tech has the ball to win the game. I don't want to. I don't want to dump on a guy, but I do want to highlight uh, some moments here from the last six, eight, nine months of message board back and forth. I guess it's about ten, about eleven months now of message board back and forth. McLean Mannix was a transfer. He wanted to come to TCU. We didn't have a spot for him. Everybody thought, "Oh, this guy's going to be a contributor." Jeremy, would you just break down for us what happened on that last drive when the Frogs put the game away? <laughs> They threw a good ball to McLean, and he he got some yards. And Vernon Scott came in and forced a fumble, and Trey Merrig recovered it. I mean, it was it it was kind of I don't know how to describe it because you're right. Everyone was talking about Mannix, and Mannix he's a good kid. He did great things at Nevada, but he he hasn't been a great contributor up there at Tech this year. He he doesn't have very many catches. He's second or third on the depth chart, and he he really wasn't going to be one of those players that you thought, oh, man, we got to find a way to stop Mannix. He's going to – if you don't stop him, he's going to have eight or nine catches. He was just really another guy. And in, in, in some point, you you almost forget that he's even on the roster because he really didn't play a whole lot. It was good to see Vernon get that play because the secondary was, was taking their lumps, and I know you're going to get into that uh, with some of the blown coverages they had, but it, it was good to see Vernon make that type of play. He said after the game that – by the way they were lined up that he knew that play was going to be coming and he was just trying to get to him as fast as he could and, and, and to make a play. And fortunately he did. Yeah. Fortunately for the frogs, he made a play a little poetic justice, a little poetic justice there. Uh, I feel bad for the kid. Cause I, by all accounts, he's a good kid. And that said, um, there were a lot of frog fans that thought that he was a, a, a problem by us. Not, uh, it was going to be a problem with us, not recruiting him, us not having a spot for him. Turns out that, that that's just how the cookie crumbles sometimes. That's the way that turnovers happen. Jeremy, you mentioned the secondary. Let's just go ahead and start there. We'll, we'll start with the secondary, then we're going to go to play calling, which is kind of a rite of passage of every podcast. Talk about the secondary, especially as things started to break down with some of those deep passes that Jeff Duffy was uh, Jet Duffy was able to correct on, uh, connect on. What was breaking down? Is it personnel? Is it scheme? Was Tech better than us on that play? Take us Take us inside what you know of the secondary. I I think they were just lost. It was funny to to hear Coach P talk after the game. If if y'all could see the video on the snap judgments, you can't really hear what he's saying. He's talking. He's really hoarse. I mean, we're I'm sitting six feet from him, and I could barely hear what he was saying. But there was there was a lot of miscommunication on there. A lot of a lot of guys lost. I like Nook Bradford. Nook Bradford's going to be a, a good player for TCU. He's struggling right now. He's he's struggling. He he did not have a great game yesterday. That that first touchdown when it's twenty four to three, and they should have sacked Jet Duffy. That's another problem they had. They had him wrapped up like three or four times, and they couldn't bring him down. He avoids a sack. He rolls right, and he throws. And there's literally two Texas Tech receivers standing there in the end zone waiting for the ball to come down. And Rigdon was the one that came down with the catch. You guys couldn't see it on TV because uh, I watched the replay today, but they were so. Neither one of those guys were covered. One of them was so. One of them didn't have a guy within 15 yards of him, and we were waiting for Jet Duffy to throw it to him. Jet Duffy couldn't see him. I don't. I don't know what he was waiting for. But that kid was so wide open. 
that by the time he threw it, there was other guys in the area. It, but man, just a blown coverage, young miscommunication. The the play for the seventy yard touchdown, that's just another. That I mean, you have you have guys like Julius Lewis and, and Jeff Gladney. I don't know if they're trying to play man, but it looked like they were playing man on that because you had the outside guy do a slant. Jeff followed him. You had the inside guy do a wheel route, and they got crossed up. And I think it was Julius that just got toasted on that play. Uh, and you know, Vernon Scott's playing over the top. He was the last hope to bring down the tackle and he couldn't and ended up being a seven yard play. But I mean, Jet Duffy just literally threw that up in the air. It looked like a perfect pass because it looked like the whole time he was going for uh Turner, but he just threw it up. It, he, he just threw up a prayer and Turner just happened to be there. And it just, it, that was when it started to become one of those games where you thought, okay, here it goes. I even posted on the board, the, the the boats on the wheels are starting to come a little loose now. The wheels are starting to get loosened up. They're not completely falling off yet, but they're getting loose because they started getting those kind of just fluke plays, man. It was just really fluke about it. And then you had uh, when it's when it's uh, 24 to 16, they make it 27-16. That was a huge field goal, Jeff, as you mentioned, by Jonathan. I know some people were arguing on the board, why don't they go for a touchdown here? Looking back, it's a good thing they didn't go for a touchdown because if they don't get it and I mean, six seconds isn't a lot of time. You, you would be shocked how quick six seconds could go by. Do they throw a shot at the end zone, take four seconds off? Maybe, but you also have a chance of getting it picked. You basically with Jonathan song are guaranteeing yourself three points at that, at that point in the game. And you make it a two store, two score game. If you kick the field goal. So that was a good decision by the coaches, coach Patterson, kicking that field goal late in the game or late in the first half. But then you got 27, 16, they come out and it's Jeff Gladney. We, we talked about the hit, Jeff, you're, you're an official used to be an official. It's, I'd love to hear your take on that. I have my personal opinion on, on Jeff Gladney's targeting call. Um, But as soon as he gets taken out, they bring in Keon Stewart. He gets burnt for a touchdown over the top. And then later in the game, you're talking about Jet Duffy again avoiding a sack from Corey Bethley. He he literally had his whole legs wrapped around wrapped inside his arms, and he breaks that tackle, and he gets 13 yards in the very next play. Another thing you couldn't see on TV: all of the defensive linemen and basically the whole secondaries looking at Coach Patterson for a signal, and Texas Tech's lining up to run the run the play, and that's why. Uh, Ezukanma uh, was so wide open for that touchdown that put Texas Tech ahead. And man, you're, you're talking about a, a defense that went out and stopped Baylor to nine points last week. You had some new guys out there, but it, it was not a good day for the secondary. I promise you that much. It was not a good day for the secondary, and it will be a rough first half, at least for the secondary, without Jeff Gladney playing on the road at Oklahoma at night with uh looks like cd lamb will probably be back that game at least if what you, you believe what you hear on twitter all right let's talk about that targeting call uh let's get your take first jeremy because I'll, I'll give you mine i'm I'll, I'll tell you what i think but i, I want to hear what you have to say was that the correct call i personally i don't think it was and, I, and i'll tell you why it was it was such a bang bang play. It, the guy runs an out. Jeff's covering his guy. Jeff sees the ball coming out, 
So he gets off of his guy, and he's immediately running in to go tackle the receiver. And he's already making his progress toward the ball. He's already getting ready to make the tackle. The receiver catches it. The receiver turns around, and it's a bang-bang play. It's tough for a defensive back to change everything. I, I can understand, hey, you should go for his legs. You should do this, do that. And I said this on the board. Had Jeff made that tackle the exact same way and he just hits that kid's back, there's nothing called. It's just everyone does a big ooh and it goes to the next play. But the fact that the kid turned around and Jeff's already kind of just going down the way he is, I, I will admit he was his, his helmet was leading, but it, it was such a play where he, he got plumb out. I mean, the kid got to the turf. It took them a good seconds before any referee through the flag, literally. I mean, the, and the flag came all the way from the back. And I think if the kid was laying there motionless and not moved, that it would have been probably reversed. Um, because there was a similar play like that in the Baylor-Oklahoma game that was almost identical where it didn't get called for targeting. So it's, it's tough. I know Jeff didn't have any intent to try to hurt the kid or try to target the kid. He knows what's at stake in that game. He knows they're trying to get to bowl. Why would he want to get knocked out on purpose? So he's, uh, to me, I think it was it was kind of a, it, the refs had to do something. There, it, to me, I think they felt like they had to do something because the kid was laying there as long as he, because they were working on him so long. I mean, he was on the field for a good five, six, seven minutes. And I think if the kid would have just been able to, hop up and, and nothing happens, then it probably wouldn't have been called for anything and just another play. But it was it's going to be tough. I mean, CeeDee Lamb comes back for Oklahoma next week. If, if that's what they're saying on Twitter, then it is going to be tough. They're going to be going at him. He'll probably have four, five, you know, six, seven targets in that first half alone, and it will be tough. All right, here's my hot sports opinion incoming. I think it was the correct call, so I'm going to start with that. I believe that that, by the rule, was targeting, and I don't really – I can't really argue with the call on the field. I thought it was targeting as soon as I saw it, not just when they, you know, the guy went down or they had a late call, a late flag. I thought that was targeting. I also can tell you I've sat in a lot of officials' meetings, and they have made clear to us that – that you know, two things. One, if we if it, if we think it's targeting, call it. And second, uh, they are showing all of these charts of declining enrollment of youth football. Now there might be still plenty of kids playing football in in suburban Fort Worth and Dallas, but across the country, the numbers of football are just shrinking, and it is connected to to CTE. It is connected to hits like that. And so what what we have been told us is that. Uh, if you can't decide if, if it's if it looks like it's targeting, call it targeting. Not just like go reaching for a call in, in the name of protecting the game. And so I kind of have a bias towards supporting the officials. Not like oh, cops support cops and lawyers support lawyers, but as, as belief that that football needs to be saved. And I, I think football is important, not just as a game, but as, as a formation of character and, and team and, and being a part of a group and all that kind of stuff. And so if football, I want to save football. I want there to be football when I'm 75 years old. And I think calling targeting is something that will help with that. It's same, same with the blindside block, you know, the hit where you got, everybody just kind of goes, whoa, when you light a guy up. Those are plays where people get injured. You know, we're not going to have kickoffs in 10 years. I guarantee it. Um, because those are plays where people are most likely to be injured, and you can still make a clean hit 
and uh, be able to knock somebody down and light somebody up and it not be a penalty. Now, here's my problem with targeting. So I'm, I'm on the record. I think Jeff Gladney, I think that was the correct call. The problem is they're using a one-size-fits-all on it, and I think the I think the first penalty for targeting is too heavy. And so what I would do is if you have a targeting call on Jeff, like you had there, um, it's 15 yards, it's an automatic first down, and you are out for 15 minutes, like, like it's hockey. You know, not a power play where it's 11 on 10, but he has to sit for 15 minutes of regulation, and then he comes back in. The second targeting call you get for a season is you sit the whole game and you sit 60 minutes and you time it that way. So that's the way that I would let that first one go. Not let it go, but, you know, give it a stiff penalty. It's 15 yards. It's the first down. Uh, you know, the, the guy's got to sit out for 15 minutes. But then the if, if the second one means this guy's a headhunter. The second one means it's a headhunter because what we all know is there are targeting calls that are targeting that have nothing to do with intent and where you wonder, is there anything else the defender could have done? How many times have we seen that on TV where there's targeting and, you know, Booger McFarland's like, there's not a thing he could have done. That's just football. Um, and, and the problem is there's about 30% of it that's right. And you still have to have players that are being retrained to not hit in the head from, from the time they start playing tackle football up. And that's really still, uh, relatively speaking, a new call for people. So that's what I think about about Gladney's call. But what I think about targeting in general, one, it's got to protect the game. I want there to be little guys playing football across the country for, the, for you know, for another generation, you know, a couple more generations. But I think they need to uh, mitigate the penalty, bring it down a little on the first one and jack it up on the second one. That way, if you got a guy that loves to hit people in the head in the second time he does it, it comes with a heavy penalty. So that's the way I would look at that. You know, I know people are going to disagree with me or people are, you know, people will wander around with seven teeth saying, I, yeah, I used to get hit in the head. Ain't nothing wrong with me. Um, it is important. It's got to get, it's, it's got to be fixed to save the game of football, but there also needs to be a, a more just way to administer that penalty that has consequences, serious consequences, but are escalated and not just you're gone for a half. Cause right now, if you get a targeting penalty with three seconds left in the half, you, all you got to do is sit out the second half and you're fine. So it doesn't matter. But that's, that's why I don't like the way that it's, uh, that's the way I, that's the reason I don't like the way it's administered right now. So does that make sense or is that just me uh, uh, having officials' backs? <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. I mean, like I said, it, it, it's, a, it's a hard call to make because it just, just the way he did lead, it, you know, leading with his helmet. I just think if, if that kid, you answer me this, if, 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 if Jeff would have hit him in the back using that same form of tackle, he's still defenseless, but is that targeting? Probably not. I bet there's no target. No, it's not because it's not forcible contact to the head or neck with the helmet. No, and it doesn't. That's what I'm. That's what. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Because it's not forcible. the The kid, he's going in. He's already in the process of making the tackle the way he is, and that kid just happened to turn around when he did. He just happened to turn around. He took what a half a step before Jeff lit him up. So it's really, it's really a bang bang play, and that's why I'm looking at it like you. I don't blame Jeff for trying to, you know, intend. He didn't intend to hurt the kid the way it came out. But if if he makes that play and he comes off the 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 guys the guy he's covering, the kid catches it and Jeff hits him in the back and the guy's back gets bent backwards. It's just a big hit. 
That's all it is. We've seen that type of play all the time. But since the kid turned around and Jeff's already leading the way he is and his helmet hits the bottom of that kid's chin and he gets blasted backwards, it's all of a sudden a target. And that's what I don't agree with. That's that's why I was saying it it should have been – it was reviewed, but I don't think if, – if the kid would have hopped up and he would have ran off the field and they weren't tending to him for – as long as they were, I don't think it would have been called a target because I don't think anyone can can disagree if if that kid's making the pattern, makes the catch, and Jeff just hits him in the back and his back kind of bends. We're all just talking about a great, nice hit. That's it. That's it. But the fact that the kid turned around, it just turns into a completely different story. And now your best defensive back is going to be sitting in a ha- sitting out the first half against Oklahoma. Yep, I completely agree with you. <clears throat> I completely agree with you. All right, let's flip over to the other side of the ball and, and celebrate some good news. Jeremy, give me your assessment. What do you think of Sonny Cumbie's game plan? What's What do you think of his play calling? Because this is an ongoing point of, uh, shall we say, animated conversation among Horn Frog fans. What do you think of Sonny Cumbie with his yeah. game out there at Texas Tech? I thought he did great. I thought it was a, a, a – pretty much one of his top games he's ever had as an offensive coordinator. And I'm not just saying that because they scored as many points as they did. Texas Tech's not a great defense. I'll, I'll, I'll fully admit that. I'm not going to be blinded with how, how, uh, you know, bad Texas Tech is. I mean, it, it they, they are a bad defense, but the thing about it is he, he let his running backs run the ball. He, he called good pass patterns for Max. Max wasn't put in a position to, to make a whole lot of mistakes. Like I said earlier, that play call to Artavius Lynn was a great play call on the goal line. The the only play I really didn't like is when it was, uh, I think it was third and short or fourth and short. Uh, remind me, uh, refresh my memory, Jeff. It was that last drive of the first half there. I think it was third and short because they, they only had two yards to go and they put max under center and the only and he gets the first down and the only thing I could think about is where in the heck was that last week <laughs> at the goal line when they're at the one uh, because had- he goes under center and I think I, I think everyone was kind of thinking that same thing hey hey he went under center and oh man where was that against Baylor that that's you just wish it, they would have done that but I think overall he did a he did a pretty pretty good job, and, and I think that's what I said last week on the broadcast that he's going to go up to Lubbock. He's got he's got a, a lot of uh, friends and family in that area, and he's got something to prove. And it's it's fun for him to go back home and and do those things. And they're three and zero with him as the offensive coordinator up there in uh, Lubbock. Uh, so he's he's doing something right for at least against Texas Tech. I had some south end zone PTSD watching him go under center and wondering why could we have not done that last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to feel good about Sonny, and you got to feel good for Sonny. You know, whether you think he's done a good job or not, you know, that's up for debate. What is not up for debate is that this is a good guy who loves, who's done great things for the Horn Frogs. He has, uh, you know, all of our top 10 finishes as a power five school. He's been at the helm. So I feel really, I'm, I feel, I feel happy for Sonny, especially to go up there to Lubbock and get that third win. Um, that, you know, that's three in a row in Lubbock. You can't really argue with that. This is one of those games that the home team loses. Um, that that's kind of defined yeah. the series since uh, TCU and Tech have started doing battle in the Big 12. So got to feel good for Sonny. One other guy I wanted to get your thoughts on, Tay Barber. 
He is the number one receiver on this team, and there is no debate. Talk about his game because I think we've all seen this coming. We knew he had a good game against Texas, but my gosh, Tay Barber came to play up there in Lubbock. Yeah, he's he's quickly becoming Max's uh, go-to target, and, and, and it's a good thing to see because now you got another guy that could take the top off the defense, and defenses are going to have to worry about Tay going deep from the slot position. They won't only be able to play over the top on Jalen's side. And I think that's going to benefit the offense in general. That's why you had a play like uh, Jalen Rager's post pattern because they had to be aware of Tay. And it, that's that's the result of them fearing for Tay to go over the top because they wanted to have someone over there. And they, they thought they could put man-on-man with Jalen, which that was not a good idea for them, um, as they could see in that, that long touchdown. But He's he just steadily keeps getting better and better. He did have a tough drop early in the game, and the I think on that uh, was it the first drive or the second drive where he had that. It looked like it was going to be a touchdown, and by the way it looked on in, in real time, I thought he just dropped it, but it looked like the Tech defensive back got a made a pretty good play on it. You know, by watching it on TV today, I saw no, that. That was a great. That was a great play by the yeah, Tech DB. I mean, I thought it was a drop two in real time, but then they showed the replay. That was a great pass breakup. There's just no two ways about it. Barber didn't do anything wrong. He got that was a great play. Yeah, you. I I got a good picture from uh from my photog that that took that. Uh, he he had a great picture of Tay going up for the ball and Texas Tech's defensive back. His hand is right on the ball at the same time. Tay's got both hands on it, and then the Texas Tech DB has his hand right on it too. So he was able to to strip it away. But that was a good play, and that's the kind of thing you don't see in real time. So when I'm posted on the board, you're saying, "Oh, that was dropped," because we don't have TVs right in front of us. We don't get the benefit of a replay sometimes. TCU has TVs in their press press box everywhere, so you can see the replays. But some some of these schools you go to, you don't you don't have that benefit so if I ever say something like oh that was not a hold or he should have caught that pass sometimes I'm looking at real time and it looks different until you see a replay but yeah he he had a great game and the the legend of Max continues to grow I mean we could spend an hour talking about how good Max Duggan's become and man I just just again the kid just he blows me away he blows me away with how how much of a leader he's becoming to this team. It's it's crazy to think that he's only 18. You know, years just old. to go back to one thing you said, I am not surprised that TCU has much better in-house technology than Texas Tech. I just kind of wanted to make sure to make sure I heard you correctly. <laughs> so, you know, hey, I will say this about Texas Tech though. There's two there me and Drew Davis have been talking about this and and we we're, we're we're trying to get the uh fellow riders to, to join in because we want to do a ranking of the, the top press boxes in the big 12 and the, the basically the top press box meals, I guess you could say. And the top press box meal is easily, easily hands down Oklahoma state or what Texas they, tech. What are they serving out there in love? Without a doubt. Oh man, there's, there's all kinds of stuff. They, they got, a, a smorgasbord of stuff to eat. I mean, it's it's different. I mean, they have, uh, of course, your salads. They got they got your good size. That had the uh, uh, enchiladas. Um, they had some kind of. Uh, it seemed like a King Ranch casserole, which is which is awesome. But it, it was really good. 
And then if you just want to have something else like popcorn, it's always readily available. They've got hot dogs. They've, they've got all kinds of stuff that you could choose from. Got a lot of desserts. Got your fountain machine where you can get Dr. Peppers all day long, sweet tea. I mean, it, it is good. I mean, they, they've got, I can't, I can't describe it uh, fully, but let me just tell you, it's, it's good. And, and, and Drew will back me up on this and some, some of the other guys with the media will too. But uh, Oklahoma State, they always serve great barbecue up there uh they've got ice cream which is a plus they give you popcorn they give you those gigantic pretzels at halftime it is it is unbelievable it is good tcu does good sometimes their game meals aren't the best but they always treat you to buffalo bros pizza after the game and they give you cookies at halftime so that's always always a plus but i think where i'm going this uh saturday is probably they're good on the gridiron but they're not really good up in the press box so what I'm hearing is that Oklahoma is not the most hospitable university. So I'll, I'll just kind you of have go to sign your, You have to sign your name when you get food there. Are you serious? Um, I promise you. And they almost killed a man before. I almost saw Jeremiah choke, and Alex had to give him the Heimlich right there at the press box. It was <laughs> phenomenal. That you know, we need to do a podcast of just stories from the press box with Jeremy Clark. Maybe we'll do that in the off season. I bet you'll. <laughs> You'll have some pale. <laughs> oh man, the one with Jeremiah so funny because see here I'm it is. Here it comes right now. I, I'm sorry. It's, I'm talking to a guy from the franchise, which is the sports radio up there in Oklahoma City, and all of a sudden I hear this coughing and commotion behind me as I turn around, and Jeremiah's grabbing his neck, and Alex, Alex is like 21, 22 at the at the time, and he's like. Are you choking? <laughs> Jeremiah, all he could do was to shake his head. And so Alex springs into action and gets behind Jeremiah, and he's basically trying to give him the Heimlich around Jeremiah's stomach. <laughs> and Jeremiah grabs his hands and put it puts it around his chest, and Alex is just, like, pumping like crazy. And finally, the this chicken comes out. But I made a big post about it saying I almost saw a man die tonight in the press box. But I guess you just had to be there sometimes. But – it, it's it's pretty podcast, funny. I'll, I will never forget that moment ever. This podcast will soon be renamed. Finally, the chicken came out. So. <laughs> Jeremiah's probably yeah. gonna be pissed when he hears this. Hears me talk. He he hates it when I talk about it because it, it it was just it was funny, man. I, and it's only funny because he came out okay about it. And it you know it just like I said, you probably just had to be there for it. But yeah, he. Uh, he was, he, uh, I'm not going to say that. I was going to make a check. All right, moving right along. All right, let's, let's, let's recap the tech game because we got a lot of other stuff to talk about on this show. A um, couple of things I wanted to highlight I was excited about. I thought they spread the ball around well to the running backs. Uh, Darius had 19 carries for 87 yards. Max, 18 carries for 75. And Shea, 11 carries for 63 yards. Tay Barber leads the team with eight receptions, 137 yards, followed by uh, Rager with three for 83. John Stevens Jr., he's coming into the offense here. That's good to see. Three for 40. And uh, uh, Davis and Hunt both had two catches uh, for 20 and for 17. Our Darius Lynn, uh, Lynn obviously had the one catch for four yards, but it was for six. So that's the most important number on that. Good to see the Frogs offense uh, be able to use those weapons and not just – hey, let's give it to one running back and try to throw it to Jalen Rager 87 times. So we could use still a few more Jalen Rager targets. Tay Barber keeps being able to light it up like that, just keep doing what works. The number that I loved 
549 yards the offense put up, and that counts all of the yards that come out when they kneel out the game. So you figure that's six, seven, eight, nine yards that they lost there. They were up over 550 with a minute to play. The Frogs go for 549 yards, 323 through the air, 226 on the ground. I got to tell you, I picked TCU to lose this game. This was the first loss I picked all year. If you guys uh, (laughs) should just keep picking against them. But I said if Max throws for under 200, they lose. Throws for over 200, they win. He goes for 323. Hard to argue with that offensive production. Need a few more touchdowns than field goals there. But it's really hard to argue with the game plan. It looks as if things were kind of clicking on all cylinders. I don't care it was tech. That was a good win to get under their belt. And that's good experience and success to build on for these last two games as the Frogs are fighting to get bowl eligible. You know it was even more impressive than the total offensive yards? was the 15 of 24 third down conversions. And and some of those were pretty long. I mean, I think they were like 11 of 12 or something stupid like that on third and third and six or less. So they, they were able to convert a lot of those plays and, and that's what helped them, man. I mean, that last drive before the half, they, they were very good. Max was very good throwing the football. He was six of nine. But two of those incompletions were on clock out throws. He's spiking the ball. So he basically was perfect that last drive in the first half. But if, if, if we're going to talk about the offense, there, there was one thing that I would have liked to have seen more. And I know people are pro- that are listening are probably thinking, man, I can't believe they're not talking about this. I thought the offensive line kind of got tore up about midway, all the way midway through the second quarter, all the way – basically almost to the end of the third quarter before they started to get their act together again. They played really well that final drive where after uh, Vernon had caused the fumble and Trey got the recovery, all they needed was a first down. And Tech knew they were going to run it, and they were still able to grind out a first down. Darius had some great runs, and they they, they ran out the clock. And it it was really because of the offensive line. But it was a rough day for for McKinney, rough day for Bolasomi. But the one kid that came in, he got a holding call the very first play he came in, Andrew Coker. But other than that, he he played fairly well. We didn't hear his name called out a lot. And typically when your name's not called out a lot as an offensive lineman, you're doing something good. So it was it was good for him to get out there and, and see some action. True freshman being thrown into the fire that late into the game and, and really against a, a in a game where you had to win. You have to win to – maintain your goal of, of getting bowl eligible. So I, I was proud for him to come out there and play the way he did. But uh, that, that was probably the only downfall of the offense that I, that I could think of. It's just that, that lull that you had from the offensive line uh, there late in the second quarter and all the way early on until the third quarter, almost till the end of it, until they finally started getting the ball moving again. Well, that'll put a nice cap on our Texas Tech conversation. I agree with all that, Jeremy. Offensive line had some issues, but uh, time to be moving forward here. All right, before we look at a few other games in the Big 12 and nationally, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor, Teen Life. TeenLife.ngo is where you will find all the information that you need to support this great organization. They support and invest in the lives of junior high and high school students, giving them the tools that they need to become responsible for their lives. TeenLife.ngo will give you ways for you to volunteer probably right there in your neighborhood in a local junior high and high school. It also gives you a chance to make a tax-deductible nonprofit donation. So all you millionaires and billionaires that have that money sitting around, 
go online and make a donation or find a way to volunteer. Go to teenlife.ngo for you to find out ways that you can support this great organization. Daniel, did you catch the Baylor-Oklahoma game? Because I got the first half, and I thought, I don't know that I can live in a world where Baylor is 10-0. But then I stuck in through the end. What did you think of watching Baylor lose to Oklahoma? Oh, it was, the second half was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> the first half was was interesting. Um, I was not expecting that at all. Uh, I think at worst, I was expecting sort of an even, even keeled sort of back and forth. I uh, was not expecting uh, to be up by twenty five. And, and then, of course, to blow it. So anyone that ever says 6158 again gets to be punched in the face. Do you have any animals? I have a cat. Did, at any point in the first half, did you feel like kicking your cat? Okay. No. No, no. I, I, I'd kick a wall or something. Throw, I'm not gonna... throw anything? You know, I didn't. And I don't know why. Uh, sometimes I've I've broken things, um, you know, doors, <laughs> chairs. Uh, half of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> broken toes, broken. Uh, I've lacerated tendons on my hand, punching and things. As happy um, as you were, oh, I guess what about three o'clock? Did you almost lose all that happiness? later in the evening no uh but about with just a few minutes left in the first half uh i said screw it and i ran some errands and I, but i was like you know what and i checked the score on my phone and i went wait a second what's going on so i put it on the radio i happen to know what affiliate or what uh, the radio station baylor's broadcast on up here so i put it on while i was out and Followed it, and I was like, okay, here we go. This is, you know, this is what should be happening. Baylor's wearing down because, you know, Oklahoma's just going to out-muscle them. And they, they finally started getting deflated. And of course, I got I got back home and finished the fourth quarter. And, oh, man, it was great. I don't know if Oklahoma has had as many TCU fans pulling for them ever as they did last night as they, they, they fought back. Yeah, I'm looking at the score here. 28 to 3 at one point. And then uh, Baylor kicks that field goal from uh, John Mayers with three seconds left in the half. And then they don't score again the rest of the game. They ran 16 plays in the second half. 16 plays in the second half. That is a whole bunch of three and outs and a whole bunch of turnovers. So it was, I'm not going to lie, it was pretty exciting to watch Baylor come back or, or watch Oklahoma come back on Baylor. I know they played without CeeDee Lamb. I know that there, there's just no one. I know you can't measure this if you're an analytics guy. Baylor was up, and they were ready to play, and they were able to come out and assert themselves and do whatever they wanted. And here's the other thing, man. Jalen Hurts was a turnover oh, machine. Man. I mean, interception, bump, two, two key fumbles, one on the goal line, one where he just puts the ball on the ground. It was almost identical to what – 
Kyler Murray did in Red River last year where he put the ball on the ground trying to spin. You are not Superman back there. And so Jalen Hurts almost lost that game, and then he came back and he won that game. So that was an interesting turn of events there. And and so there were so many subplots inside of that, not the least of which – Tua, you know, who's out for this season, sadly. I feel, I hate watching kids get hurt, especially his hip. Yeah. It's the injury Bo Jackson had. Um, to see T- T- Tua get hurt, and then to watch that first half that Jalen Hurts put up, I was like, oh, this is a bad day for former and current Alabama quarterbacks. Yeah. But you got to hand it to Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma. They came back, and they got that big win, and the Frogs have to go up there this Saturday night and play them. And I think they're going to be loaded for Frog to play the Frogs. Was it like five plays that they ran in the third quarter? For Baylor, something stupid like that. I think it was here. I've got the stat sheet here. Let me look in the third. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, six, six plays. Wow. Yeah, six plays in the third. Wow, yeah. you're not going to win very many ball games doing that unless you're scoring on all of them. No, you're not going to you're not going to win many games scoring or you know, playing like that unless you're scoring on all of them. So, all right, so that puts Baylor back in the driver's seat. We're most likely looking at a Baylor uh, Oklahoma yeah. rematch in the Big Twelve title game. I'm going to go out on a ledge here. If CD Lamb is healthy, and then uh, what's the tight end's name? Calcaterra. Uh, if Calcaterra is back for that game. I'm going to take Baylor. I mean, I'm going to take Oklahoma, whatever the spread is. I think that they will come out and just aim to put a statement on Baylor this time that that was uh, that was a fluke first quarter and that they're going to come out and probably hang 60 on them. Yeah. So that's my hunt. That's that's, my hunch. that's the thing. Like C.D. Lamb, he's he is a difference of of several first downs, at least one or two touchdowns in a game. I mean, but the kid is clutch when when you need drives and. Jalen didn't have him the other night. Charleston Rambo stepped up pretty good. I thought Theo Weiss had a pretty good play um, late in the game to score that touchdown. But is that is that the yeah, kid out of Allen? Yeah. He was a five oh, yeah. star. Allen. Hazelwood's a five yeah. star. I mean, they're loaded with younger kids. They're just not very experienced right now. Um, but yeah, they're they're and Kennedy Brooks. I mean, they're still going to be it's going to be tough, man. And you, you just watch Jet Duffy of all people find open receivers and, and throw for 330 something yards. And you're just thinking, man, Jalen hurts is probably licking his chops right now. I will give TC benefit of the doubt with defense because they did start some new guys. Vernon was starting at strong safety. You had our Darius starting at weak. And then you got Colt Ellison starting at defensive end again, Wyatt Harris back out there at linebacker. It, they, they had to change some things on, on the defense a little bit. So they're young. Uh, TCU is, but, I don't know how they're going to be able to stop Oklahoma on a consistent basis. It, it's going to take a, it's going to take their best game probably in about five years for them to for them to beat Oklahoma on the road up there. But it it was crazy because I, I will say this about the OU Baylor game, man, James Lynch would look great in a TCU uniform. That kid is just. Oh golly, man. man, I know people oh, don't like him because he committed, but man, I'm just telling you. <laughs> that kid's good. He is a player. He is a player. And someone asked, where would he play on the – he would play outside. He would play inside. That kid would be making a huge contribution to TCU's defense right now. You better believe it. Trust me. Kid is kid is unbelievable. He'll be first team all Big 12. Go ahead and book it now. He'd be uh, 
he'd be doing what RJ Collier did, which is you can go inside, you can go outside, you can bull yep. rush, you can drop. He can do he can do it all. Yeah, he can do it all. So two guy, two defensive linemen that were uh, ready to go to TCU and then ended up at Baylor have played a uh, memorable role in some games. I'll just put it that way, and uh, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. So. <laughs> One other thing I wanted to talk on, uh, two, two more things before we wrap hip, up here. Uh, number one, if you think the, it's tough to be a Frog fan right now, just be thankful you're not a Texas fan right now. Uh, they go on the road. They get beat by Iowa State. Matt Campbell has now beat every team in the Big 12 in his four seasons there. There's a great tweet that I read from Dan Walken, who covers uh, college football, he says, there are now 15 threads about hiring Urban Meyer on Orange Bloods right now. <laughs> they want Herman gone. They want Orlando gone. They want Beck gone. Uh, they, I, I, don't, I don't know why Texas fans thought they were going to waltz up there to Ames and get a win. They're living in 1997 yeah. if they think this Iowa State team is a bunch of pushovers or that that game was a fluke. I mean, Matt Campbell is a better coach than Tom Herman. Anybody that thinks otherwise is an idiot. And Brock Purdy did a couple pump fakes, and next thing you know, he's just running down the field towards the end zone. You got to hand it to Iowa State, man. They just they just outmanned Texas. Um, they, they they were controlling them in the trenches. They just were dominating them up yeah. front, and then they found a way to make the plays and win that game. I got to hand it to Iowa State, and I love watching Texas fans. I'll cry. be honest with you, I I thought Iowa State was going to win by more than that. I, I never gave Texas a chance to go up there and win. Um, I, Iowa State's the better team. They're clearly better coached, and they're they were playing at home, and so I mean that was that was some recipes for a for a big L for Texas. And it, it the conference is so crazy right now. Drew and I were looking at this last night, trying to figure out. It's pretty much a guarantee. You could not even play the rest of the season. Baylor would have to lose to Texas and Kansas to not play in the Big Twelve championship. So it's basically basically going to be. You can already already book your tickets, Baylor fans and OU fans. It's going to be y'all two in the Big Twelve championship. There's no way Baylor's going to lose to to te- uh, to Kansas. They they might lose to Texas off a weird game because that's how the Big Twelve is this year. But Oklahoma's not going to. It would take a miracle. TCU didn't. I said this. I might have said this on the broadcast last week. I said TCU's one of those teams this year that could go up to Lubbock, lose the game, and somehow go to Norman and pull off the unthinkable. I still think TCU can go up there and pull off the unthinkable. I just think it's going to be really tough. But the way the the, the schedule is right now, you've both got Oklahoma and Baylor both sitting at one loss. And everyone else, aren't, aren't they at three losses? Everyone else in the conference? There's no one sitting there with two losses, you know, are every, there? No, everyone's sitting there with yeah. three losses. But you know what game I would not sleep on is Thanksgiving weekend Bedlam. That game yeah, is but, in Stillwater, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. That that could be a, that could. It's not going to impact the Big Twelve title yeah. game, but it will. I mean, it, it will alter Oklahoma's motivation in it because if they're going in playing to you know move up two spots in the rankings, trying to scrape back into the playoff, uh, you know if if they have that on the line, that will change everything. But if Oklahoma State beats Oklahoma, that could really change the way that OU goes into the Big Twelve title game. So. Yeah, that's true. That's the only game that I think that could be spoiler. And I, it's always a fun game to win. I mean, it's always a fun game to watch. Oklahoma always wins, but it's always, always a fun game to watch. Oklahoma has to lose to 
to TCU and Oklahoma State. Baylor has to lose to Texas and Kansas to just cause all kinds of chaos because then you might have at least a four-way tie with three losses the way the schedule's setting up. Well, I'm just going to go on the record and say that's not going to happen. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Like I said, Baylor, go ahead and book your Big 12 tickets. Oklahoma, you can go ahead and book yours too. Get get your tickets to to stay in the Arlington area and dine in their fine restaurants and stay in their fine hotels. Go to Poncho. That's exactly right. Um, Jeremy, let's do a little recruiting here to wrap things up. There's been some conversations about uh, guys that were committed to Arkansas, maybe currently committed to Arkansas, or are looking around. A couple of names that you say have bubbled up that there's conversations, but maybe not uh, anything about to happen. But give us a little update on where things stand with recruiting, especially with a couple of kids that have uh, started to look away from Arkansas with Chad Morris. Well, the two names from Arkansas is really Chandler Morris, which is uh, Chad Morris' son, the quarterback out of Highland Park, and then uh, Brandon Frazier, uh, it, it sounds crazy, and I, I've posted this, and people's just – I don't know if they're disagreeing because they want to disagree or they just don't believe me, but it's its tough when they go out and they they try to find uh, certain scholarships. And there's, there's – I'm just telling you, they meet as a staff, they talk about what their needs are, and they say, well, this kid's trying to come to us. Do we, do we need that? And that's kind of the situation with Chandler Morris. They, they lock him as a player. There's an interest there. I think Sonny is they, – they, they are trying to look for some way they can get a scholarship available if there's a, if there's a kid that uh, leaves. Uh, and, and that's another point is if you have certain positions leave, it's not like, oh, okay, well, now we can offer the quarterback. It doesn't work like that. They, the, the way they look at it is if you're losing a cornerback – they need to go out and find a cornerback. And just like I mentioned on the board one day, if Mike Collins comes in and says, hey, I'm going to go somewhere else my last year to play, then yeah, 2020, that that does a quarterback probably does become a need for them because they're not going to have a quarterback they expected to have on the roster for the next season. So that's where it becomes a big need. And, and right now you're looking at uh, they, they need to take at least one or two receivers. They, they love to take a tight end. They would – Love to take another offensive lineman. Garrett Hayes is a guy that they still continue to heavily recruit. Defensive back, Bud Clark is a guy that that they're going to take. So I'm just going to tell you right now, if Chandler Morris and Bud Clark both called tonight and said they wanted to commit, they're going to take Bud Clark, and it's not even close. It's 10 out of 10 times, 100%. They're going to take Bud Clark, and they're not going to think twice about it. And that's and that's the way you got to look at these things. It's just because, yeah, it's it's great if a kid has an interest. There's there's no one saying that Chandler Morris wants to go to TCU. There's just an interest there. Hey, uh, my dad's not going to be coaching at Arkansas. I'm reopening my recruitment. Is there any interest from you guys? There hasn't even been an official visit talk yet. So Brandon Frazier, they do have a slot open because tight ends a need for them. So they're going to recruit him a little bit different. They are going to try to get him for an official visit down on campus. They are going to try to sell him, hey, we're getting tight ends involved this year. And that's something that, that from what I've been told, Brandon has has liked hearing so far. So it it is it is a tricky situation because people just think scholarships become available. No, scholarships, they do become available, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they become available for different positions. You always got to put the, the scholarships where there's the biggest need. And, and right now, quarterback is not a big need for them right now. 
That makes sense. But I think what we learned last year is they're going to hold a couple of spots open, especially with uh, kids looking to transfer the, the, the new transfer portal and all the traffic that goes through there. You got to hold a couple of spots and you don't want to fill it with a kid that maybe you need or, you know, you're kind of interested in. So I see where the frogs are playing that conservative. And I think they kind of learned their lesson last time on saving a spot or two for kids that, that come open. And, you know, they can do that after you know, the season ends and you can evaluate injuries and who might need surgery. And you might evaluate that after spring ball and say, all right, who's, who's leaving now? And we got to ref- we got to backfill with the, with the kid that leaves. So I understand the, the way that that all plays out. And I know it's kind of hard to, to come to grips with some of that, including people like me. So, all right. Jim. And, they, and they're going to look at junior and they're going to look at, you know, they, they not Juco only kids, the portal yeah. kids, but junior Ju- Juco kids that could come in and, and play right away. Guys that, you know, like Brandon Coleman and Danny Gray, those guys are going to come in right away and they're going to compete. You know, you got questions in the air about whether or not Jalen Rager is going to come back. And I think as fans and you guys all look at it, you're, you're probably thinking, well, he probably should come back. He's not having a great year, but it depends on what the NFL thinks. He could go in. He's I, I know 100% that he's at least going to reach out and see what his grade's going to be. If it's going to be a first or second round grade, he's going to he's going to leave. I mean, that's that's a fact. Especially if it's a first round. I mean, he's he's gone. But it, it's one of those situations where around the program, you're you're already building yourself up for that. So you, you've got to you've got to look at. We lose a guy like Jalen Rager. We got to have a guy like Danny Gray to come in there and, and be that guy and and be the kid that can get on the field right away. They've lost some receivers. They lost Bryson Jackson. They lost. Uh, uh, Van Wagner, and that's that's just they're they're transfer kids, and there's probably going to be more more kids going into the portal because that's that's the way that things working right now. It's like what what I said about Justin, and everyone wishes the best for Justin, but no one was really surprised by it just because that's the way the the the, the nature of college football is right now, especially at quarterback. You're not you're not ever surprised, and for Justin, I think it was he kind of saw Max was kind of getting the love more than anyone else, and he was on the depth chart fourth or fifth, where you know wherever you want to look at it, and he probably saw the writing on the wall. He wasn't going to really have a chance to to get out there on the field for a TCU. So I don't blame him one bit for for looking around and for some of these situations. That's that's what you got to look at. But there's always going to be some type of attrition at the end of the season, uh, and. And I'm not sitting here saying, "Hey, I know there's going to be five or six guys," but I'm just I'm just speaking of historics. I mean, we we all know where I'm sitting here preaching to the choir. You guys all know, and you're going to be asking me on the board, "Who do you know who's going to leave?" or "Who do you think?" And I don't know, guys. I, I really don't. I'm just saying it's going to happen. Some someone on the roster will leave just because that's what history shows us. All things are to be determined when it comes to roster management, and everyone wanting a clear, linear explanation of it all will be greatly disappointed. The heart wants what the heart wants. Example A, Carter Johnson. So people are just going to do what they're yeah. going to do. Oh, that man. That's man, because Carter's such a good kid. And, and, I know and it I is. Know that I know. They hope to have some, some, some good things for him, but – it's it's crazy how that works because Carter leaves and then like a week later they get Sorrels, which Sorrels was from the same class, and he was actually ranked higher than what Carter was. And so you're you're basically filling in a spot for him. It's not like Carter's leaving in the portal 
is all of a sudden open up opening up the scholarship. They they already had that taken care of before he even got in the portal because he told them. I mean, he left he left the team you know three weeks ago, uh, at least three weeks ago when I first reported it. But you know that's how that thing works. You're not going to lose Carter Johnson and go try to sign a wide receiver. You know what I mean? You've got to find another defensive tackle, and and luckily they just Sorrels literally fell into their lap. Can't complain about that, man. Flipping five, flipping four-star D tackles from the SEC is always a good thing as far as I'm concerned. All right, you guys have anything else before we wrap up this show? I got nothing. I got nothing. All right, we want to thank you so much for listening to the Frogcast. If you haven't yet, go to iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating and review. Subscribe to our show. When you do things like that, it lets more people know about frog, uh, about the Frogcast, and it gives us a chance to let people uh, come, come on board and download us every Monday or Tuesday, especially during the regular season. We're going to be sprinting towards our first signing day here in just a little over a month, and this is going to be the go-to spot for all recruiting information. So go ahead and give us a rating, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. You'll be glad that you did. Also, go join our uh, website, hornfrogblitz.com. It's a great message board and online community where you can stay connected with stuff that's going on inside of the program and get together with other frog fans where you can enjoy the banter, the back and forth, the inside information, and the not-so-inside information. And uh, you'll meet a few annoying people. Let's just tell you the truth, but you're going to meet a lot of other good people that love the frogs and love to talk about the frogs. So until we come back next week to talk about a game in Norman, Oklahoma, no prediction yet, For Jeremy and for Daniel, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to the broadcast.